Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, November 6th, we are studying Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. The prophet shocks the people with his preaching yet again. The day of the Lord that they have been desiring, the day that they think will be a victory for them, well, it's going to be quite the opposite of that. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us Pastor Joel Heckman. Pastor Heckman serves at St. John's Lutheran Church in Okarchi, Oklahoma. Pastor Heckman, welcome to Sharper Iron. Thank you, Tim. It's an honor to be here. So as, as we get started this morning, Pastor Heckman, uh, give, us some, uh, give us some context on the book of Amos, Amos chapter 5, that's going to be helpful to us as we dig into the verses for today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so a little bit of the, I guess, historical context surrounding uh, especially this text, uh, when we're talking about especially the day of Yahweh and, um, and Amos time. So this would have been about the first half of the 8th century uh, B.C., and it was really a, a time of uh, prosperity in a lot of ways for Israel. Uh, leading up to this time, there had been, um, you know, a great deal of military activity against Israel, especially uh, from the nation of Aram. And for years, they had kind of kept Israel at bay, uh, but God had never fully, you know, allowed them to overtake Israel. So then, uh, as they get into the eighth, you know, the the first half of the eighth century, all of this military activity against Israel sort of uh, subsides. Um, the leader of the Assyrian kingdom uh, was starting kind of a westward expansion, but due to an alliance with Israel, uh, there were no wars against Israel. And the kings at this time, uh, Uzziah of the southern kingdom of Judah, and then uh, Jeroboam, then Joash, uh, those were the two, the, ki the king of northern Israel, those were the two kings kind of at this time of uh, military inactivity, you might say. So they took kind of this context of, you know, a peaceful time uh, and were very excited about what, you know, what it meant for their future. Uh, and so this, this military inactivity uh, created a time of prosperity for them. Uh, they, they, you know, they kind of reached their summit of material power, uh, economic prosperity. Uh, the Jeroboam was expanding the territory of Israel. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so a lot of things were going really well for Israel at this time in history. And uh, some people have kind of characterized it as the silver age uh, of, of Israel's history. Everything is kind of going well for them uh, in the first half of the the eighth century, and that's when Amos kind of comes onto the scene, as you said in the introduction, and, and completely um, shifts their expectations. Uh, they're kind of thinking this is going to be a, a, a great time for us. <clears throat> Excuse me, things are only going to get better, and everything was pointing to a time of unprecedented prosperity. 
so that's that's kind of the historical context that Israel found themselves in. Very positive time, uh, not really a whole lot of opposition to their growing kingdom. So a, a great chance for their economy, their military to grow, which is exactly what happened. Now, as far as uh, the context of chapter five, uh, this this little three verse section falls into kind of a larger section where. Uh, verses 1 through 17, uh, actually some people kind of characterize it as a funeral dirge. Uh, the, the language uh, Amos uses, especially um, the woe, uh, the woe oracle, is kind of used to indicate that something has died or someone has died. Uh, and the, uh, the ironic thing is Israel themselves, have you know their their way of life is indicating that they're spiritually dead, they're physically alive, that they're spiritually dead, and kind of the verses leading up to this uh, this condemnation that we get in 18 through 20, uh, Amos is reinforcing what he's been doing this whole book. Uh, you know, you are focusing on your strength rather than uh, the Lord's. He focuses on that in uh, chapter 5, verse 9. Um, they're rejecting the truth, especially anyone who comes and preaches against kind of the status quo uh, that the religious leaders of Israel were preaching, uh, they were rejected. And then, of course, the injustice, trampling on the poor, he mentions that in verse 5, verse 11, which was also mentioned earlier in chapter 2. And really, this is in, in many ways kind of setting them up for this, this harsh condemnation in chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Uh, the day of Yahweh was not going to affirm this way of life. It was going to be a source of darkness. It was going to condemn everything they'd be doing. Um, and then 21 uh, through 27, that kind of closes up the chapter, uh, Amos kind of further grounds why uh, you should fear the day of the Lord, why this is not going to be a, a pleasant thing for you. And really, of all the things that he condemns in this particular group of verses, it's really uh, a condemnation of breaking the first commandment. Uh, their their feasts and assemblies and offerings and songs had all really been infected with the poison of not only misplaced trust, but also uh, worship of false gods. Uh, you know, all these altars that they had set up, these pagan altars, um, and they were being judged basically for their failure to fear and love and trust in God above all things. Um, and that's that's kind of the context surrounding this condemnation. So so Amos doesn't just walk on the scene and say, hey, day of the Lord is darkness. He kind of tells them, here are your sins. Here is why this day is going to be judgment for you. So that's that's kind of the context surrounding a lot of this. I appreciate you in the historical context, the way that you brought out particularly the the military aspect of the people's history at this moment, that at this moment they're experiencing relative peace in terms of military activity against them. And I think that's helpful, especially with what we're going to talk about when it comes to the day of the Lord, because this theme of, of battle and attack, I think is pretty prominent when it comes to how the day of the Lord functions in Amos and elsewhere in Scripture. And so to recognize that Amos is bringing bringing up the day of the Lord in terms of, in, in that historical context, really adds something to it as to what the people are expecting it to be, and as it turns out, what it what it actually is. And so that that military image, the battle, the attack, I think is one that we, we want to keep in our minds as we 
as we look at this text. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and read the text, uh, Pastor Heckman, because it's it's really hard not to just start talking about the day of the <laughs> Lord um, as, as we think about this. I'm gonna I want to put the text out there for us, and then we'll start digging into it. So so again, we've got Amos five uh, verses eighteen through twenty. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? So there's there's the text before us. And, and again, as, as you've already mentioned, the day of the Lord figures very prominently here in Amos. And this is a theme that we've seen him mention in passing occasionally. He's talked about that day, in that day, phrases like that already. But here is where this theme really comes out. So, so Pastor Heckman, just, just help us get started on what the day, maybe the, the place to start is when Israel would have heard the term, the day of the Lord, what would they have been expecting? Yeah, so they they had a completely different idea of uh, what this day was going to bring. So here again, with the context, they are they're just clicking on all cylinders. Everything is seeming to go well, and they are uh, looking at this day of the Lord as a time that would bring an unprecedented age of prosperity uh, to their nation. Even uh, one of the verbs Amos uses to describe this when he says, "You know, why do you desire it?" That desire as deep-rooted aspiration for some, you know, they really want this because they think, you know, what's going well is only going to get better. You know, our economic success is going to grow. Our military might will increase. I mean, they had a a pretty sizable army uh, at this point. They thought, you know, it's only going to get better. Uh, Their political alliances would flourish. You know, they'd have a time of peace and prosperity. Uh, and another thing they kind of thought was, you know, c- kind of in, in uh, connection with that, they thought this was basically going to be a day that vindicated their current way of life. Uh, you know, even even though there were people growing rich by taking advantage of the needy, uh, worship was no longer uh, exclusively for the God of Israel, uh, you know, with the syncretism that had snuck in. Uh, to their life, you know, their way of life and worship, um, they thought all this was going to be affirmed as good, you know, be, because how how could it not be good if things are going so well? Uh, so they are expecting this to be <clears throat> just a, a really good, great time in their history where God comes in and, and says things are great, they're, they're going to get better here, you're going to have a lot more success. So that that I think was kind of their attitude, their mindset. Uh, and it was only, you know, going back to the unfaithful uh, preachers, this was something that was kind of affirmed by them, too. Uh, you know, here are the guys who are supposed to be uh, teaching them the law, teaching them the will of the Lord, uh, keeping them rooted in the Torah, the Ten Commandments. And, and these guys are only affirming what they're doing. Uh, they're saying, you know, God, God isn't going to punish you. Uh, God isn't going to judge you. You know, you keep doing what's right. Or if, if nothing else, they, they weren't condemning it, even if they were encouraging it. Uh, so that's probably a big reason why these people are thinking, well, nothing's wrong. Uh, Day of the Lord, that's that's going to be great, you know. Mm. And 
And I, I think that's kind of what they were expecting uh, as they were anticipating this. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, as, as you think about, and in terms of the, the context, again, that's very helpful to think about those. We haven't talked a lot about the false preachers that would have been around. We, we don't actually encounter the false preacher in the book of Amos till chapter seven. He's, he's coming, those mm-hmm. who would preach the opposite of what Amos is preaching. But, but this idea of the day of the Lord, probably, I mean, if we think about where they would have traced this idea to, that, that a day was going to come when the Lord was going to vindicate his people, further their prosperity, they, they probably have in their minds— Things like the Passover, uh, the Exodus, days when the Lord executed judgment upon the enemies of the Lord, and and I think mm-hmm. I, I think that's part of the context too, because you know verse seventeen, as we talked about on yesterday's show, the end of verse seventeen has a reference to the Passover in it, where the Lord says, "I will pass through your midst." Thinking, okay, this is what happened to Egypt. Mm-hmm. The, the message of seventeen: what happened to Egypt is going to happen to you now, Israel. So, so Israel's got this background in their mind that the Lord has, you know, he delivered us from Egypt and the Passover, the crossing of the Red Sea. We've had all these days of the Lord where he's been the one to fight for us. We're even experiencing it right now. And, and Amos is now going to take that thought and turn it completely on its head. So, so how does Amos do that, Pastor Hagman? So Amos comes in uh, with with his prophecy, and and we I guess we've kind of heard that leading up to this in a lot of ways, not specifically Day of the Lord. He's been speaking condemnation, but he comes in uh, and he he asks an interesting question: uh, Why would you have the Day of the Lord? And and um, uh, Reed Lessing in his commentary takes that phrase and actually. Uh, rephrases it just a little bit, what good is the day of Yahweh uh, for you? So he's coming in, and and he is um, seeing all the things that are going on and and seeing their expectations, and he says, uh, why on earth would you want something like this, Uh, you who desire the day of the Lord? Uh, And so and then he makes that contrast at the end of verse 18. Uh, It's not going to be light like you think, it's it's going to be darkness. Uh, and even in that verse 17, I thought that was really striking how, um, you know, he brings this word, you know, you'll be wailing because Yahweh will pass through your midst, which is just striking because you said going back to Egypt, here's a place where uh, the faithful people of God, you know, put the, the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, um, and, and God protected them from this death. He protected them from the destruction. Uh, and, and here it's just the opposite. God will pass through your midst, and it's going to be something bad for you. And, and he just uses these simple contrasts. Um, and even getting into verse 19, I might be getting a little ahead of, ahead of us here, uh, but he uses this imagery, uh, you know, here, not only is it going to be a, a day of darkness, it's inescapable. Uh, if you imagine you're fleeing from a lion and you somehow manage to escape, well, it'll be like running into a bear <laughs> right after that. Or, or if you get away from the lion, go to your house. Uh, you think you're safe. You think uh, you're secure. Well, it's an illusion. A serpent's going to bite you. So he really doesn't uh, hold back in here. He uh, kind of uses, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, questions, uh, you know, saying. You think this is going to be a good thing? Why do you think that's going to happen? It's actually going to be the opposite of what you think. And it's uh, a pretty strong law preaching, uh, basically telling them 
you're you're responsible. You know, you God has wiped out the enemy in the past, delivered you, you know, from Pharaoh, from all these nations and the conquest of the land with Joshua. But here, uh, the the tragic irony is you're the enemy. Uh, you are the ones who have turned against Yahweh. Uh, you've refused to repent. You have pushed him out of the place where he is supposed to be. And uh, you've taken taken that place. You've made yourselves idols. Uh, you have you have put more trust in you know money and military success and uh, turned your back on Yahweh. Uh, so this is this is going to be a day of darkness for you. So this day is coming, the day of the Lord. And just to to continue on with that theme, the people of Israel, when they hear the day of the Lord and they desire it, they're thinking prosperity, they're thinking wealth, a victory for them. But what does Mm -hmm. Amos have in mind when he preaches the day of the Lord? Well, historically, I I guess we'd point back to uh, what he had in mind would be a, a couple of different things, kind of twofold. Uh, it would be a destruction, a complete destruction of the nation of Israel, which would come, of course, uh, maybe 40 to 50 years, 30, 40, 50 years after he preached this in 722 B.C., uh, where we were talking about the military uh, context earlier where um, the the Assyrian king, his name was uh, Adad-Nirari III, uh, don't don't confirm the pronunciation with me on that. Uh, but he was the king who was having that westward expansion prior to Israel's, you know, explosion of, of growth in their nation. And so he was, he was a guy who kind of, you know, didn't, didn't do anything uh, against Israel. But here, uh, his successor, uh, again, I, don't quote me on the pronunciation, uh, King Tiglath, Pileser III, uh, who was the Assyrian ruler uh, after Jeroboam, the king of the northern Israel, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel died. He comes in uh, and and basically has no mercy on Israel. He is God's instrument of judgment against Israel. So against the northern kingdom of Israel, um, that destruction came in 722 BC. That was kind of the immediate fulfillment of this day of the Lord. And then, of course, uh, after that, uh, 587 B.C., uh, the kingdom of Judah is judged for their idolatry. Uh, as the the Assyrian nation was uh, conquered by Babylon, God used uh, this other world power uh, to come and bring judgment on Judah. And that was kind of a, a, another fulfillment um, of this day of the Lord in that immediate context. Um, so they thought it was going to be a victory. They were they were actually the the ones who were defeated in this, and that's that's what was so uh, so difficult about this message and so uh, pointed about it. Um, you you think you're going to grow? You think you're going to prosper? Well, it's not just that you're not going to grow. It's that everything you have seen here, all of these things you've been putting your security in, uh, finding your identity in, those things are going to be wiped away. Uh, completely by Yahweh uh, using these nations against you. Uh, so that's that's really, I guess, at least the immediate idea of what was going to happen. Uh, God would bring, you know, uh, he would decisively act in history using these nations against uh, his own people uh, to bring judgment on them for their sins. And that's really what Isaiah, or excuse me, Amos 
uh, had in mind when he was proclaiming it here, at least initially. Mm, right. And so, I mean, you're, I know it's a slip of the tongue, but Isaiah, other prophets do speak <laughs> of the day of the Lord, right? And and Amos too. Yeah. this is not the only time that he speaks of the day of the Lord. And so you've got these historical instances that you can point to, rightly so, 722 BC, 587 BC, these days of the Lord, when he acts decisively in history to execute judgment upon his people, just as he has said. But that that term, the day of the Lord, uh, takes on a life of its own. It's, it starts to function throughout the book of Amos and, and the prophets, pointing not just to those days, but but to something something else. Uh, Pastor Heckman, we've got just over five minutes left here on this side of the program. Uh, get us started as to how this term, the day of the Lord, starts to point past those historical events to something something else. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this is a, it's a theme that's that's very prominent in the minor prophets, especially, and of of course it comes up in, in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Uh, but it wasn't just a day of um, destruction and judgment. Uh, you could kind of say that would be law without gospel. Uh, this this day was something that had you know far-reaching implications too, or, or something that would be fulfilled even you know hundreds of years beyond these initial fulfillments. Uh, so so one of them, even as you know, getting a little bit ahead in chapter nine, uh, that's of course the the time when the the day kind of shifts to a, uh, something that'll be a good thing uh, for Israel. And of course, one of, one of those fulfillments is, um, you know, when Israel returns from exile, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, in 538 BC, when of course King Cyrus of Persia conquers the nation of Babylon, issues the decree that Israel gets to return uh, to their homeland. And it's, it's a kind of a great, picture, as we'll see, you know, as we discuss this more, you know, later in history, how God, you know, always, always works in law and gospel, always works with uh, condemnation of sin, but then a restoration, uh, so that, you know, that, that return from exile was a great example of that, you know, you've, you've fallen away from Yahweh, you've rejected him, here's the consequences, um, you know, sin does have consequences, but here also, uh, Yahweh does not completely cut off his people. Uh, he restores them uh, back to their homeland. He restores them as his people. He shows, uh, you know, my, my love is steadfast. My faithfulness to you remains even when you are unfaithful to me. Uh, and moving forward, uh, even further in history, uh, as we can, you know, maybe unpack this a little more, a little ahead, um, that day of Yahweh, the, the worst execution of, of God's wrath did not come against his people. It, it would come on, on Good Friday, that day uh, when the Son of God was nailed to the cross and, and bore uh, the full wrath of God for sinful humanity in their place, uh, paying for our sins uh, in our place. That was the day um, where we should have received that full wrath of God, but instead Christ took it in our place. Uh, and this is one of those things that, you know, those who are preaching the day of the Lord hundreds of years earlier had this in mind, uh, you know, the, all the way back to Genesis, uh, Genesis 3.15, for the offspring of evil crush the head of Satan. And all these prophets have this day in mind. You know, Yahweh is going to bring this along for his people in spite of their sinfulness, in spite of their 
hard hearts and idolatry, um, the Lord will be faithful to this promise to uh, destroy death and uh, not give his people uh, who have sinned uh, that wrath. He gives it to Christ instead who takes it in our place. So the day of the Lord, then, even as much as it does point to days like 722, 587, it, it functions as something bigger than that, something with not just a one-time historical event, but but a, an historical event that has lasting effects. And, and you're saying then that, that the place where we see the fullness of that is the death of, of Jesus Christ on the cross. So so the, the day of the Lord, I mean, there is a day of, of darkness, not light. Um, th- there is a day that was you might say inescapable for Jesus, right? Jesus in the Gospels talks about how he must go to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he prays in the garden, but but it is the Father's will for him to go there. And so even as the the prophets preach the day of the Lord to the people here, and, and they've got in mind these military conquests, ultimately the the fulfillment that we we need to see of this day is is Good Friday, when all of this judgment that that rightly should have been ours comes down upon Jesus instead. Uh, Pastor Eggman, just under a minute left to respond to that before we take a break. Yeah, absolutely. And again, keeping in this this law gospel focus, it's it's showing that uh, the Lord is is merciful to His people through Jesus Christ. Um, that's that's one of the reasons, you know, the people of Israel could still have hope even in the midst of this, you know, day of darkness. Not only, uh, I mean, they have this promise of restoration, even in the midst of this judgment, not only would they have that as a nation, but but ultimately it's so much bigger than that. Uh, they, they too looked forward to the day when uh, Yahweh would show decisively, um, you know, there, there, there is peace between you and me. There is righteousness on account of Jesus Christ. And uh, that was their ultimate hope uh, as, as Amos was redirecting their focus here in this historical context. He was also, also kind of reorienting their focus. Uh, remember that promise uh, that, that God uh, will bring the Messiah who will take the sins of the world upon himself uh, and take God's wrath in your place and and deliver you from this darkness into uh, into light into day uh, and uh, that's that's the beauty of this message even in such a, a harsh message it's still that hope that uh, perseveres through that it's a wonderful part of of the message of these prophets. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO, looking at Amos chapter 5. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. 
Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Wednesday, November 6th. We are studying Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 20 with Pastor Joel Heckman of St. John's Lutheran Church in Okarchi, Oklahoma. Pastor Heckman, prior to the break, we were discussing at length this term, the day of the Lord, and how the people of Israel at this time had in mind a day of further prosperity, a vindication of the way that they'd been living, even though they were living in sin. And so Amos comes along and tells them, no, that is not the day of the Lord is going to be for you because you have rebelled against the Lord your God and are living in that rebellion. The day of the Lord for you is going to be a day where the Lord is going to fight against you. He's not going to win the victory for you. He's going to fight against you and you will experience that judgment. And so we, we talked, historically speaking, that, that the day of the Lord comes against Israel in 722 B.C. with the nation Assyria coming and, and wiping them out. It comes against Judah in 587 B.C. Where, where Babylon comes and takes the southern kingdom into exile. And, and yet even with that theme of judgment in the day of the Lord, the prophets also saw forward to another day of the Lord where that judgment of God would fall not upon the people of Israel or God's people or anyone other than his son, Jesus Christ, true God and true man on the cross, the day of darkness and judgment, the day of the Lord came upon him on Good Friday for his people's salvation. And so with those things in mind, with what the day of the Lord is and how it finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ on the cross, what I, what I want to ask you next and have you talk about is is how this comes to us. Because I think for, for many of us as Christians today, we do desire the day of the Lord, now speaking of the day of the Lord, as the day when Christ returns. And the scriptures teach us to do this. Revelation teaches us to pray, come Lord Jesus. We confess in the creed, I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. So, so what I what I want you to talk about is, is how how do we put these things together, so that we as Christians today would faithfully desire the day of the Lord, rather than falling into the unfaithfulness that we see in Amos's time. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, how how does it uh, impact us today? What what should our stance toward it be? And of of course, exactly as our creed and the scriptures say we should be looking forward to this day. Uh, I think Israel's problem, um, when they were looking to this day, obviously they were living in sin and looking for this day to affirm their sin. And I think that's the big difference uh, between how they looked at it and how we look at this, the second coming of Jesus. Uh, of course, that's going to be a day of judgment. As we confess, it'll, he'll come to judge the living and the dead uh, which will be terrifying for those who don't belong to Christ by faith. But for us, uh, it'll be a day of, of joy, um, as, as some people say, a day of unending light. Uh, when we talk about that theme of darkness and light, uh, that'll be the day when um, sin is completely eradicated uh, from all of creation. Death will uh, come to a complete end. Uh, God's people will be risen uh, from the dead and uh, brought to be with their Lord in paradise for eternity. Uh, and so that's that's a joyful thing for us. That's something, you know, uh, taking that word that Amos used in verse 18 to desire the day of the Lord. Um, in Israel's context, uh, it meant a sinful, you know, desire 
for us, it means it's a, it's a good desire. It's a right desire to look forward to the day of the Lord. Uh, I, I guess one thing to be careful about is is desiring it so much that you lose sight of what the Lord is doing here in His creation until that day. Uh, Reed Lessing used the phrase, uh, Israel had turned eschatology into escapism. And so their problem was they were using that day to kind of escape this notion of God's judgment, escape responsibility and, and faithful, righteous living, living by the Word of God. And I think there's a similar danger that, that we can have, uh, thinking that, you know, my, my goal in life is to, to kind of die and go to heaven, you know, uh, that, that idea that this life is just kind of a stepping stone uh, to, get to, the, to get to eternity. Uh, that's not the way to desire the day of the Lord. Uh, certainly it is a good thing, but God still has, um, you know, vocations that we fill here in this life. Uh, and that day of the Lord, I think, is meant to really anchor us as we go through this life. Uh, there, there is a great deal of suffering and hardship because we still do live with the reality of sin and suffering in the world. But we carry on with that hope that the Lord is with us even in this time and as we approach that day of the Lord, when Christ comes back, which, you know, that, that could happen in the middle of this phone interview, <laughs> but it's, it's going to happen nonetheless. It's a promise. And that's one of those things that, that anchors us in this life that I believe God, uh, that's how God intended it to be. Uh, we look, look to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Uh, we don't look past this life. We look to it in this life uh, and use that as an anchor. Uh, so we desire it, we pray for it, but understand that uh, the Lord will bring it in his time. Uh, and until then, we cling to this promise. We cling knowing that Christ will return. He will uh, bring an end to all sorrow. He will wipe every tear from our eyes and, and make everything completely new. So I think that's that's kind of the way that it's faithful to think about the day of the Lord as God's people now, not something that we use to kind of escape uh, what God is doing in his creation to restore that creation through us, uh, to, to use that to anchor our work in his world and, and really use it to, to give us hope, uh, when, especially when things kind of feel hopeless in this life. So it's a good thing, good thing to desire as we look forward to it. Yeah, I like that image of, of an anchor in this life. I think that's that's a helpful one. And, and to, to recognize that, you know, just to, to keep it very basic too, right? As you said, Israel was looking at this day as a day that was going to vindicate them for their sin. They were looking at this day apart from, from faith. You, you might put it that way too. And so mm -hmm. for us as Christians, we look forward to this day in faith. And, and maybe to think about it like this— the reason that we can look forward to that day of the Lord, when our Lord returns, raises us from the dead, the way we can look forward to that day whenever it comes, even if it comes in the middle of this conversation, is because we've already been through that day ourselves. Jesus has gone through it on Good Friday. And now we have been put through that day and brought through it in him. This is one way that, that Paul speaks throughout his epistles, that we are in Christ. And the way that we are in Christ on that day is through is through faith, through, through God's work in holy baptism. And so in those ways, as Paul talks, as the book of Hebrews talks, today is the day of salvation. When, when we 
hear Christ's word and believe, we are going through that day ahead of time. And because we are found in Christ then, on that day, on the day of the Lord when he raises the dead, then there is nothing to fear because we, we know what the judgment is. The judgment has been vindication, not because we didn't sin. <laughs> the, the judgment is vindication <laughs> because Christ didn't sin, and he's given that to us. Maybe that's another way to look at it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I think that's a great point. Uh, having already gone through that day, uh, you know, it, it, it might be intimidating, you know, when, when Christ comes back, what's it going to be like? You know, all kinds of questions. Uh, you know, what's that last day going to look like for us? But uh, that's one thing we don't have to fear, uh, because as you said, we've already gone through uh, that day in our baptism, where Paul says, in baptism, you are buried with Christ and then raised to new life. Uh, so you've already gone under, on through that judgment, and, and you've been judged right uh, through the righteousness, not of yourself, not your own works, not your own efforts, nothing on your part, uh, but for the work of Jesus on your behalf, which uh, was credited to you as righteousness in your baptism. Uh, and so that day is not something we have to fear. Uh, it's something we get to rejoice in because we know that we have already been judged right in the sight of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and so we, we really look forward to that. And as uh, a pastor uh, has this great phrase, um, when, when the fear of the Lord is, is all you have left, you have nothing left to fear. Uh, and that, that fear of the Lord that we have also been given in baptism shows us that, yes, the Lord uh, is God. You know, he, he is uh, a God who hates sin. He is a God who judges sin. He is a God who does what he says he will do. And he is a God who, as you know, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Uh, and so God, God is someone who certainly we, we, we fear and have reverence for, but he's also a God when we Remember that, uh, you know, he, he is on our side. He is for us. We, we don't have to be afraid of him, and we don't have to be afraid of this judgment, because uh, as, as was, you know, stated at our baptism, uh, you have been made right through Jesus Christ. And that's as we, I believe, I think it's in the baptismal liturgy we have in the hymnal, uh, so shall you stand before the judgment seat without fear. That's what we say after that. Uh, person has been baptized, and that sums it up so well. Uh, so shall you stand at that day of the Lord, not in darkness, but in light, not in fear, uh, but in joy, uh, because you belong to Jesus Christ. Uh, and that baptism is certainly something, thinking about, you know, a day, that's a day that you can bring up over and over again, you know, remembering your baptism, remembering, uh, as Luther would say, I am baptized, I am baptized. Uh, when you do have that fear of judgment. Remember that uh, Christ uh, forgives you your sins and you belong to him by faith. So that's, I think that's a great way to think about it and to look forward to that day with confidence uh, because of God's promises for you in baptism. So this, this day, and we've seen this throughout the book of Exodus, where, where Amos will take something and use it both in terms of law and gospel, and, and he's doing that with this day. And so to, to return a little bit to the, the law aspect of it, I just want to have you comment on this a little bit more, Pastor Eckman, because it is a very striking part of this text. The imagery of verse 19 is, is just, 
you know, you've got the, the darkness imagery in, in 18 and 20, but the imagery in 19 is, is again, this idea of attack and one that you're just not going to get away from no matter how hard you try. And, and I think, you know, with the, with the particular animals that he uses, at least with the first one, as if a man fled from a lion, that, that theme of a lion roaring is one that's been there in Amos that, that has pictured how Yahweh speaks and so it seems that the idea here in verse 19 is, is Amos is saying, look, you can try to run away from Yahweh, but you can't. He, he's going to, to get you. Um, talk about that imagery there in verse 19, because it's just so memorable. Yeah. Yeah, this is honestly one of those, those texts where you read through it, and it's, it's really easy to just kind of gloss over uh, the, the imagery that Amos uses. Oh, lion, bear, snake, you know, I know what those things are. Uh, but then when you stop and pause and say, why did Amos use this imagery? It's um, it's really striking what he's kind of doing here. Uh, you know, of course, in the Old Testament, anytime you see uh, an attack from a lion or a bear, it's usually fatal. Um, you know, encounters with snakes are almost always uh, deadly. And, and the, the the imagery is interesting. He uses uh, the lion and other other places in this book, too, especially I think it's Early in chapter one, he said the Lord roars uh, from Zion, and I, I think it's in, interesting because uh, you know, kind of tying in with uh, you know, Jesus is described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Um, I think what Amos is kind of doing a little bit, uh, maybe not, but he, you know, Israel had kind of made God into you know their own, you know, kind of toothless, clawless house cat. You know, he wasn't. A, it wasn't a God who was going to bring judgment against them, but I, uh, Amos is reminding them uh, with that image of a lion, God, God is fierce, God roars, God uh, is inescapable. Uh, and so looking at that sequence of events, you know, you're, you're fleeing from this lion. Okay, maybe you'll get away from him for a little while. And then you run into a bear, <laughs> uh, equally fierce. Uh, I did my, my vicarage up in Kalispell, Montana, and got to hike around Glacier Park quite a bit. And thankfully, I never ran into a grizzly bear. Um, I had my handy canister of bear spray ready if I did. But, uh, you know, talking to people who ran into bears, uh, it's a terrifying encounter, even if they're just, you know, standing down the path from you. Uh, you know they can they can run on you in, in seconds and, and devour you if you if you can't get away. Uh, so it's this terrifying. You know you can maybe get away from one aspect. You know one one you know one sin that you can kind of get away with or you know run away from God's judgment, but it's going to follow you and, and catch you. Um, and if you and then the going to the uh, the bit about going into your house and leaning your hand against the wall. Uh, you think about the house. Uh, it's supposed to be the place where you feel most safe, most secure. This is the place where you're familiar with your surroundings. You think nothing can happen to me inside these four walls. And then you lean your your hand on the wall and the snake bites you. Um, so it's really, I think he uses this to, to sh really hammer home and show uh, you can't get away from this Israel. Uh, you can't get around the fact that you have rejected the God of Israel. You have sinned, and you're trying to elude his judgment. You're trying to elude the consequences of your sin, uh, but you really can't get away from them. Uh, and another image I kind of thought of was if you've seen um, Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, when Indy 
steals this artifact from uh, some archaeologists, and he, he runs from them, and eventually they end up on the circus train, uh, and they're going through. Each car has animals in it, so Indy falls in the first one. There's snakes and alligators, and he gets out of that, and he goes on to the next one, and there's this rhino that almost impales him. Uh, and then he goes in the next one, and, and what is there? A lion. Uh, and eventually the, the archaeologists get the artifact back. But that's kind of the image, I think, Amos is using is to say um, sin has consequences and you can't run away from those. You have to face up to the fact that you have rejected the Lord, you have broken his law, and now there are consequences for it. Uh, there's no, make no mistake about it. He's making it very clear here. Yeah, the, the, I mean, this, this ties very well into what I think we've been saying all along about the day of the Lord. The only way out of the day of the Lord is to go through it with Jesus, ultimately. It, you're not going to get away from this judgment. So you can either face it on your own, and if you do, well, you might get away from the lion and the bear, but just when you think you're safe, there's the trap and the serpent's got you. Or you can go through it with Jesus. Which, I mean, I think, and that, I think, ties in with the rest of chapter 5, too, this this whole matter of seeking the Lord and living. Seek good and not evil that you may live, verse 14. This mm-hmm. is what the Lord would have you do. He he doesn't want this, he's, he's, he's serious about this judgment, and, and should you persist in your sin, this judgment will come. But he wants you to live, and, and the way that you live is by being found in him, in the Savior that he provides, who goes through the day of the Lord for you, so that when you go through it, in him you you live i mean i think i think that that whole imagery ties in very nicely and helps sort of wrap some of these things together um pastor Hager, yeah. we got we well, go ahead go ahead and respond to that well i was going to say too it kind of made me think of uh with our our confession of sins when we go back to first uh, john chapter one uh that in our liturgy we say if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us and if you cut off there you know there's there's obviously that law but then you keep going but if we confess our sins god who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and that's really exactly what you said going through it with christ is acknowledging our sinfulness yes lord we have uh, failed to fear love and trust in you above all things, uh, but here uh, we are confessing our sins to you, acknowledging that uh, we have broken your law, and then the Lord um, gives us that forgiveness that he has promised. He gives it in the absolution. He gives it uh, in the Lord's Supper, um, and that's really what going through that with Christ means is uh, that promise of forgiveness, and that's uh, that's where that gospel comes in. Yes, we have broken God's law, but the Lord forgives us our sins when we bring them before him. And I think that's exactly what Amos is getting at. Uh, Seek me and live. Seek God where he has promised to be and where he has promised to forgive your sins. Um, And that's in the confession of our sins and the receiving of God's grace. Pastor, we have just under seven minutes left on the morning, and I think what I'd like to, to point you towards is now that we've looked at verse 19 with its theme of inescapable attack and judgment. The only way you're going to get through it is in Christ. Pick up that other image a little bit more for us that's there in verses 18 and 20, the the image of darkness versus light. Yeah, so darkness and light, um, you know, big, big theme throughout the scriptures, Uh, this this contrast, especially if you look at the book of John, uh, darkness and light. Lord, the, The Lord Jesus says, I am the light 
of the world. Whoever believes in me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that's really the difference between, uh, you know, walking in your sin and and denying the Lord and ignoring uh, that repentance that God calls us to. And, you know, instead of that, the light is really uh, walking with Christ, being faithful to him and and resting in that grace that he has. Um, I always kind of think of, uh, you know, con- confessing your sins, uh, walking in your sins is like walking in, in the dark. You know, I uh, I had this, um, you know, uh, growing up in South Dakota, I would, I would go on runs with my dad really early in the morning. Uh, and, you know, in, in the dead of winter when the sun doesn't come up till, you know, it seems like noon <laughs> and it's darkness all around you. you. You leave the front door and you, if there's no moon out, you can barely see a foot in front of you. Uh, so trying to navigate through that, uh, you, you'd kind of be in trouble if you didn't have any kind of light uh, that you were walking in. And so you, you whip out the flashlight and you can see the driveway down to the gravel road. And then you don't veer too far off the gravel road. You can see if there's a raccoon 10 feet in front of you or something. But that, that's the difference is, is between darkness and light, he says here. Um, yes, there is darkness uh, because you have been walking in sin, you've been rejecting the Lord. Um, but the fact that he mentions light uh, kind of points to the fact that there will be light. Um, there will be God's deliverance uh, for those who repent of their sins, for those who heed God's word. Uh, there will be deliverance for his people. And then again, just going back to that, what does this day of the Lord mean beyond this imminent judgment for you? Uh, and it's, you know, it's basically saying this isn't the end of the story for you, Israel. Uh, God, God is is not uh, completely cutting you off, and that goes back to uh, what did Christ experience on the cross? You know, we we think of the the physical pain, obviously, the the shame of the cross, but uh, the the greatest suffering was was the Father turning His back on the Son, uh, completely. You know, why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, that is the the hell, the suffering that God's people. Uh, you know, who are, have faith in Christ never have to experience. And so I think, I think that theme of darkness and light uh, really goes back to, obviously, there are consequences for sin. Uh, but as you mentioned earlier, um, going through that judgment with Christ, uh, yes, there are consequences, but there's also restoration and forgiveness and grace. And it's, it's it's great imagery that he uses. He keeps it very simple, very straightforward, very understandable for the people here about, yes, sin is darkness, but God's mercy is light, uh, looking at the gospel aspect of that. Mm-hmm. Right. So so flee to the light right now while, while there is still time. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the, uh, yeah. what you're talking there reminded me of, um, of John chapter 3, where, where after John 3, 16, Jesus talks about this, you know, being in the light versus being in the darkness and, and how we, we love the darkness because we don't want our evil deeds to be exposed. And so this, this theme here of light and darkness here, it's Amos is inviting the people to come into the light now rather than to remain in the darkness of their idolatry and their injustice. And instead, come into the light, seek the Lord and live. As And you rightly pointed out the, the matter of, of the confession of sins in 1 John 1, right? Confess to the Lord what is true, what he has told you, and and find life 
in him because you won't find it anywhere else. Pastor Heckman, we've, we've got mm-hmm. just over two minutes left. Um, any, any points that you want to pick up that we didn't get to hit or, or give us a, a summary of what we've talked about this morning? Yeah, well, I think even just going with that confession theme really, I think, sums it up well. One of the big takeaways we can have with this, um, the temptation, I think, is God's people, uh, as Israel was was experiencing, is to hide our sins, uh, whether it's from God uh, or even our fellow Christians, uh, because we're afraid of what you know it will mean if we confess our sins or if we uh, turn from this way of life that is bringing us so much false illusory security. Uh, we're afraid of what it means to uh, follow the Lord faithfully. We're sometimes afraid, you know, God, maybe God won't love us if we confess our sins, or maybe our, our spouse or our friend will turn from us. Uh, and that's the temptation I think Satan brings is, uh, you know, if, if you confess your sins, there's no light. There's just darkness. Uh, the Lord won't love you. He doesn't love you. Um, but as Amos was making very clear, um, Darkness is is the equivalent of remaining in your sins, um, and darkness here is also, of course, that judgment. But the light, as you said, fleeing to the light uh, is acknowledging your sin, uh, bringing your sins not only before the Lord uh, and receiving that grace, but also uh, before his people uh, in those relationships in which God has placed us. Uh, it is always, always better to confess your sins, uh, not hide them in the dark, but lay them out, trusting that, um, you know, there is grace when you confess your sins, uh, there is restoration. And um, that's a, a big part of this text. But ultimately, I think getting back to day of the Lord, the huge theme here, what does that mean for us is, uh, again, going back to we can have confidence in the face of that. Uh, when that day comes, we don't get to know that until it actually happens. Uh, you know, I'd sure love to know, but that's that's part of faith. It's, it's realizing that um, that's God's time, um, and He will send Christ back at the perfect time. As you know, as Paul says, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, and and even so, at just the right time, He will return to bring us to be with him. And so what do we do until then? Looking to that day of the Lord, we, we find confidence in our baptism. Uh, we, we repent of our sins. We call our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, and all people to repentance, just as Amos did faithfully, uh, and, and look forward to that day when Christ will come. Um, and then that, that day will usher in uh, eternal day, eternal light, where there will be no darkness at all. So uh, I think those are those are a couple things I think that are really good to take away from this text as God's people. Pastor Joel Heckman is the pastor at St. John's Lutheran Church in Okarchi, Oklahoma, helping us this morning with Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Pastor Heckman, thank you for your time. Absolutely. It's an honor. Thank you for having me on, Tim. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.